This Reformation audio resource is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. There is no copyright on this material, and we encourage you to reproduce it and pass it on to your friends. Many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at area code 780-450-3730 by fax at 780-468-1096 or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, T6L3T5. If you do not have a web connection, please request a free printed catalog. Of Domestical Duties by William Gouge, 1622, as read by Leah Domes. This entire book, Of Domestical Duties, is available through Stillwater's Revival Books. I am reading from the third trees of Wise Particular Duties. Case number three. When first they bewray their foolish indiscretion by saying, when it is too late, if I had thought this, and withal they manifest their own rashness and unadvisedness in that they gave their hands and plighted their troth to those whom they knew not. If they say they were deceived by their friends whom they put in trust, I answer that marriage is too weighty a matter to be wholly referred over to the trust of friends. Everyone that yieldeth to be married ought well to know the party unto whom in this case they yield. And above all, they ought to seek direction, help, and blessing from God. If notwithstanding all the means which possibly they could use, they be deceived, they are to look unto God and to behold his providence therein, and dearly to weigh whether the Lord have crossed their desire for their humiliation, or for trial of their patience, wisdom, and other like graces, or else to wean them from some vain and worldly delights whereunto they were too much addicted. 2. Others observing their husband's estate to be decayed and wasted never search after the occasion but lay all the blame upon their husbands, and with their discontented looks, passionate words, and impatient carriage, so vex their hearts as they make the cross much more heavy than otherwise it could be. Though the estate should be overthrown by the unthriftiness of an husband, yet ought a wife to look unto God's providence therein, as was noted before. 3. Others scorning to stoop and to come down to their husband's present condition through their pride and vain glory are a great means to make his estate much the worse, for they, so long as by any means they can get it, will not abate anything of their brave apparel, dainty cheer, rich furniture, and other like things, which are causes of great expense to their husbands. Hereby also it cometh off to pass that husbands are thought to be wealthier than indeed they are, and so greater taxations and charges than they can bear are laid upon them for king, country, church, poor, and the like. 4. Others, through discontent, lie long lazing in their beds and idly sit still when they are up, 
I will not take any with the more pains to raise up and increase their husband's estate, whereby God is provoked more and more to weaken their estates, that so he may the more punish such pride and laziness in wives. 51. Of cases wherein a wife ought not to forbear what her husband forbiddeth. So much of the distinct branches of a wife's subjection, the limitation and manner of performing it next follows. To know the limitation of a wife's obedience and the manner how she ought to yield subjection unto her husband, two things must be considered. One, the place of an husband. Two, the place of a wife. The husband's place is noted in this phrase, as to the Lord, whereby it shows that the husband, even by virtue of his place, is to his wife in Christ's stead, which is furthermore plainly laid down in these words following. The husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. The wife's place is intimated in these words, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands. Whereby it is clear that the obedience which a wife performeth to her husband must be such an obedience as the church performeth to Christ. From the place of an husband, I gather this general ground concerning a wife's subjection that subjection must be yielded to the husband as to Christ. Whence there fall two conclusions, one negative, which is this, the wife must yield no other subjection to her husband than what may stand with her subjection to Christ. The other affirmative, which is this, the wife must subject herself to her husband in that manner that she would or should subject herself to Christ. The former is a necessary condition required of all inferiors in their subjection and obedience, as I showed before, much more in a wise subjection to her husband because there is of all unequals the least disparity betwixt husbands and wives. Hence, for our present purpose, I gather these two other more particular conclusions. The first whereof is this. One, if God expressly command the wife any duty, and her husband will not by any means give consent that she shall do it, but forbid her, she may and ought to do it without or against this consent. Two cautions are rarely to be observed about this conclusion. One, that the wife be sure that God hath commanded her that which she doth without or against her husband's consent. If she doubt, then she must stay and forbear till she gain his consent. When two opposite cases meet together, and the one be doubtful, the other plain and express, the doubtful case must give place to the more evident. Now the law of subjection is indefinite. Thy desire shall be subject to thine husband. The extent of it is general in everything. The only reservation and exception is in the Lord. Wherefore, if the wife be not sure that that which her husband forbiddeth her is against the Lord, she must forbear to do it. The second caution is that she use all good means she can to gain her husband's consent before she do, even that which is commanded against his consent. Thus shall she testify her subjection both to God and her husband. To God, in that nothing can keep her from doing his express commandment, she will rather offend her husband than God, when one of them must needs be offended. To her husband, in that she putteth it to the utmost push, and useth all the means she can to avoid his offense, insomuch as he himself might see 
If the God of his world blindeth not his eyes, that the offense is no way given on her part, but merely taken on his. For proof of this, it is without all contradiction true that the wife is not bound to greater subjection unto her husband than the subject is unto the magistrate. But a subject ought not to forbear a bounden duty commanded of God, because his governor forbids him. Instance, the example of Daniel, who daily made his prayers to God, though the king had made a solemn decree that none should ask any petition of God or man within thirty days but of the king. Instance also the apostles, who preached the gospel, though they were expressly forbidden. Though the scripture be plentiful in affording examples of wise subjection, yet it is very sparing in recording examples of those who in such warrantable cases refuse to be subject, lest wise from thence should take too great liberty. Some are recorded, but such as are either extraordinary or not every way justifiable. Abigail's example was extraordinary, and therefore not imitable, but in such like extraordinary cases. The example of Rebecca, which may seem somewhat more pertinent, is not every way to be justified. For though the thing which she intended were for the substance of it very good, and ought to have been done, namely the blessing of Jacob, for God foreshowed that the blessing appertained to Jacob, and that he said, The elder shall serve the younger. Yet because she put not her husband in mind of God's word, nor labored to persuade him to fulfill the same, but went about the matter deceitfully, she cannot therein be justified. But in the general, this example showed that God's word must be yielded unto rather than a husband's will. For better application of this point, I will lay down some particular instances agreeable to God's word. Suppose a wife well instructed in the true religion be married to an idolatrous or profane husband, and he, without any just cause, forbid her to go to the church, especially on the Lord's days, to pray in English, to read the word, to teach her children the principles of religion, to restore that which she hath unjustly and fraudulently gotten, with the like, she may and must do them notwithstanding. Objection. Why may not giving of alms be reckoned among these? Answer. 1. Because the husband hath a greater power over the goods than over these things. 2. Because almsgiving is not simply commanded to all, but to such as have wherewithal to give. But these things are simply commanded to all. 52. Of cases wherein a wife ought to forbear what her husband requires. The other particular conclusion is this, that if an husband requires wife to do that which God hath forbidden, she ought not to do it. Two cautions, like the former, are likewise to be observed about this point. First, that she be sure, being truly informed by God's word, that that which she refuses to do at her husband's command is forbidden by God. Secondly, that she first labor with all meekness and by all good means that she can to dissuade her husband from urging and pressing that upon her, which with a good conscience she cannot do. A like proof may be brought for this as was for the former, for we know that a wife is not bound unto greater subjection to her husband 
than a son is unto a father. The son may in the case propounded forbear to do that which his father requires and commandeth him to do. And since the approved example of Jonathan, who refused to bring David unto Saul to be slain, though his father commanded him so to do. I might also instance the same in Saul's subjects and servants, who refused to slay the priests of the Lord at his command. Though an husband be not reckoned in particular among those to whom we are forbidden to hearken, if they entice us to idolatry, yet by the rule of relation he is implied, and by just consequence gathered from this clause, thy friend which is as thine own soul, for who so dear as an husband? To exemplify this in some particulars, as I did the former, if an husband shall command his wife to go to Mass, to a stage play, to play at dice, to prostitute her body to uncleanness, to go garishly and harshly attired, to sell by scant weights and short measures, or the like, she ought not to do so. 53. Of wise faults in showing more respect to their husbands than to God. Contrary to this limitation is on the one side a fawning, flattering disposition of such wives as seek to please their husbands, so as they care not to displease God. Jezebel was such an one. To please her husband most lately, she did practice Naboth's death. And on the other side, a fainting, timorous heart, which maketh them fear their husbands more than they fear God. Good Sarah, that worthy precedent of good wives and other things, somewhat failed herein. Did wives duly consider and always remember that they have an husband, namely Christ, in heaven, as well as on earth, and that there is a greater difference betwixt that and this husband than betwixt heaven and earth, and that both in giving reward and taking revenge there is no comparison betwixt them, the care of pleasing or their fear of offending their husband in heaven would be much more than of pleasing or offending their husband on earth. If anything were commanded or forbidden them by their husbands on earth against Christ, they would say, If I do this or forbear that, I should work falsehood against my own soul, for nothing can be hid from my husband in heaven. Yea, I should herein obey Satan rather than God. 54. Of the manner of a wise subjection to her husband. The second general conclusion concerning the manner of a wise subjection, which was gathered from the place of an husband, was this, that the wife must subject herself to her husband in that manner that she would or should subject herself to Christ. The particle, as in this clause, as unto the Lord, importeth so much. This very conclusion is also inferred out of the place of a wife. In the same place that the church is to Christ, a wife is to an husband. Therefore, such subjection as the church yielded to Christ must a wife yield to her husband, which the very words of the apostle do expressly affirm. Now we know that every Christian wife, in her particular, ought to yield that obedience to Christ which the church in general doth. Therefore also she must yield such subjection to her husband as she should to Christ. Question. What if an husband be an enemy of Christ? Must such subjection be yielded to an enemy of Christ as to Christ himself? 
Answer. Yea, because in his office he is in Christ's stead, though in his heart an enemy. In this case, will the wisdom, patience, and obedience of a wife be best tried? It is noted at the church that she is a lily among thorns. She remains lily-like, white, soft, pleasant, amiable, though she be joined with thorns, which are scraggy, prickly, sharp. So a wife must be mild, meek, gentle, obedient, though she be matched with a crooked, perverse, profane, wicked husband. Thus shall her virtue and grace shine forth the more clearly, even as the stars shine forth most brightly in the darkest night. Among wives, Abigail deserveth great praise, that forgot not her duty, though she were married to a churlish, covetous, drunken thought, a very noble in name and deed. As for those who take occasion from the wickedness of their husbands to neglect their duty, they add to their cross a curse, for a cross it is to have a bad husband, but to be a bad wife is a sin, which pulls down a curse. Let wives therefore remove their eyes from the disposition of their husband's person to the condition of his place, and by virtue thereof, seeing he beareth Christ's image, be subject to him as unto Christ. This general conclusion might be applied to the matter of subjection, as well as to the manner, for the church acknowledgeth Christ her superior, feareth him inwardly, reverenceth him outwardly, obeyeth him also both by forbearing to do what he forbiddeth, and also by doing what he commandeth, which points having been before distinctly and largely handled, and applied to wise, I will not repeat them again. Wherefore now, to insist in the manner only, there are four virtues which are especially needful hereunto, whereby the church seasoneth her subjection to Christ, and wives also may and must season their subjection to their husbands. These are the four. 1. Humility. 2. Sincerity. 3. Cheerfulness. 4. Constancy. 55. Of wise humility in every duty. Humility is that grace that keeps one from thinking highly of himself above that which is meet. In the regard of that mean conceit which he hath of himself maketh him think reverently and highly of others. So as if humility be placed in a wise heart, it will make her think better of her husband than of herself, and so make her the more willing to yield all subjection unto him. The apostle requires it of all Christians, as a general sauce to season all other duties. But after a peculiar manner, is it needful for inferiors, most of all for their wives, because there are many prerogatives appertaining to their place, which may soon make them think they ought not to be subject, unless they be humbly minded. That the church doth herewith season her subjection is clear by the book of Canticles, where all she acknowledges her own meanness and the excellency of her spouse. Therefore, as the church is humbly subject to Christ, so let wives be to their husbands. 56. Of wise pride. Contrary is pride, which puffeth up wives, and maketh them think there is no reason they should be subject to husbands. They can rule themselves well enough, yea, and rule their husbands too, as well as their husbands rule them. 
No more pestilent vice falling fear than this. It is a cause of all rebellion, disobedience, and disability. Only by pride cometh contention. 57. Of wise sincerity in every duty. Sincerity is that grace that maketh one to be within even in truth, what without he appears to be in show. This is that singleness of heart which is expressly required of servants, and may be applied to wives, for indeed it appertains to all sorts. Because it is only discerned by the Lord, who is the searcher of all hearts, it will move a wife to have an eye to him in all she doth, and to endeavor to approve herself to him above all. Therefore uprightness and walking before God are often joined together. He that is upright will assuredly walk before God, that is, endeavor to approve himself to God, as Noah did, and as God commanded Abraham to do. Though there were no other motive in the world to move her to subjection, yet for conscience sake to Christ she should yield it. Peter testifieth of holy women that they trusted in God and were subject to their husbands, implying thereby that their conscience to God made them be subject to their husbands. Was not Sarah's subjection seasoned with sincerity when within herself, in her heart, she calls her husband Lord? Great reason there is that wives should in sincerity subject themselves for, one, in their subjection even to their husbands they have to do with Christ in whose room their husbands stand. So as though their husbands, who are but men, see only the face and outward behavior, yet Christ seeth their heart and in their disposition. Though their husbands see only the things which they do before their faces, and can hear only of such things as are done before others, yet Christ seeth and knoweth the things that are done in the most secret places that can be, when no creature beside themselves is privy thereunto. Now let it be granted that in their outward carriage they give very good contentment unto their husbands and please them every way, yet if sincerity has been wanting, with what face can they appear before Christ? He will take another manner account of them. Before Christ all their outward compliment will stand them in no stead at all. 2. Herein lies a main difference betwixt true Christian religious wives and mere natural women. These may be subject on by respects, as namely that their husbands may the more love them, or live the more quietly and peaceably with them, or that they may the more readily obtain what they desire at their husbands' hands, or for fear of their husbands' displeasure and wrath, knowing him to be an angry, furious man, so as otherwise it might be worse with them, they might want many needful things, or carry away many sore blows if they were not subject. But the other have respect to Christ's ordinance, whereby their husbands are made their head, and to his word and will, whereby they are commanded subjection. Thus holy women subjected themselves, they cannot be holy that do not thus subject themselves. For this is a sweet perfume that sendeth forth a good savour into Christ's nostrils, and maketh the things we do pleasant and acceptable to him. 3. The benefit of this virtue being planted in a wise heart is very great, and that both to her husband and also to herself. To her husband, in that it will make her manifest her respect of him before others, behind his back, as well as before himself in his presence, and also will make her faithful to him, and careful to do his will, wheresoever he be, with her 
or from her to herself and that it will minister inward sweet comfort unto her that her husband should take no notice of her subjection or misinterpret it or ill require it for she might say as Hezekiah did remember O Lord how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight that the church so season all her subjection with sincerity is clear and that she is said to be all glorious within there is no glory within without sincerity and in that she is oft said to seek him whom her soul loveth if her soul loveth him in sincerity of heart she is subject to him therefore as the church is sincerely subject to Christ so let wives be to their husbands 58 of wives complemental subjection contrary to sincerity is dissimulation and mere outward complemental subjection when a wife doth even despise her husband in her heart as Michal did David and yet carry a fair face before him as that adulterous woman who eateth and wipeth her mouth and saith I have not committed iniquity Solomon maketh it a note of a lewd wife to flatter with her words though such a wife should perform all the duties named before yet would those all be nothing to God if they were done with a double heart and not in singleness of heart for as many outward imperfections are pardoned by God where sincerity is so no outward actions are accepted of him though they seem never so fair where there is no sincerity 59 of wise cheerfulness in every duty cheerfulness is more apparent than sincerity and make a subjection the more pleasing not only to God but also to man who by the effects thereof may easily discern it for God as he doth himself all things willingly and cheerfully so he expected that his children should therein follow him and thereby show themselves his children God loveth a cheerful giver not only a cheerful giver of alms but of all duty to God and man for men it maketh them also much better accept any duty when they observe it to be done cheerfully this did even ravish David with joy to see his people offer their gifts willingly unto the Lord when an husband seeth his wife willingly and cheerfully perform her duty it cannot but raise up love in him this cheerfulness is manifested by a ready quick and speedy performance of her duty Sarah's readiness to obey shows that what she did she did willingly that thus the church subjected herself to Christ is evident by that which David saith they shall be willing in the day of thy power therefore as the church is cheerfully subject unto Christ so let wives be to their husbands 60 of wives sullen and forced obedience contrary to this cheerfulness is the sound disposition of some wives who will indeed be subject to their husbands and obey but with such a lowering and sour countenance with such pouting and muttering as they grieve their husbands more in the manner than they can be pleased with the thing itself that they do herein they show themselves like to a cursed cow which having given a fair sack of milk casteth all down with her heel and so verify the proverb as good never a wit as never the better such subjection is in truth no subjection it can neither be acceptable to God nor profitable to their husbands nor comfortable to their own souls
61 of wives' constancy in doing their duty. Constancy is a virtue which maketh all the rest perfect and setteth a crown upon them, without which they are all nothing. This is in those who, after they have begun well, continue to do well unto the end, and thereby reap the fruit of all. It hath respect both to continuance without intermission and also to perseverance without revolting and giving clean over. So as it is not enough to be subject by starts and fits, one by yielding all good obedience, another will stout and rebellious, neither is sufficient in former times to have been a good wife, and after prove that, but there must be daily proceeding and holding on from time to time so long as husband and wife live together. This grace was in her of whom it is said, she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Such were all the holy wives commended in Scripture. Among other particulars, mention is made of the wife of Phineas, who on her deathbed showed the reverend good respect she bare to her husband, though he were a wicked and lewd man. This grace doth the church add to all her other virtues. She, in all parts of her subjection, remaineth constant and faithful unto the death whereby it cometh to pass that at length she receiveth the reward of her holy obedience, which is full and perfect communion and fellowship with her spouse Christ Jesus in heaven. In regard of her unmovable constancy, it is said that the gates of hell shall never prevail against her. Therefore, as the church is constantly subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their husbands. 62. A wives repenting their former goodness. Contrary to this constancy is a first intermission of duty, a returning to it and a leaving it off by turns, like one that is sick of an ague, sometimes well, sometimes ill, one while hot, another while cold, that sometimes ceasing taketh away all the virtue, grace, and glory from sometimes doing. Besides, it is twenty to one that through the corruption of nature that diversity and intercourse of fits at length will cease and end in the worse. It is very likely that Michal is such an one, for one while she showeth herself so full of respect to David as for his sake she incurred the king her father's displeasure, another while in her heart she despised him and with her tongue taunted him. Contrary also to the forenamed constancy is apostasy, that is, a clean relinquishing of the former good course, as if a wife repented her of her former good beginning. Such an one is she that is said to forsake the guide of her youth and forget the covenant of her God. For ought we read to the contrary, Job's wife was such an one. And such are many who in their younger years, while the religious parents lived, as Joash, while old good Jehoiada lived, have behaved themselves very well like good, dutiful wives, but being grown to elder years, have grown also so stout and rebellious as if they clean repented themselves of their former good beginning. This revolt arises sometimes from the evil counsel of wicked gossips and sometimes from their own proud humor. I may say of these wise subjection, as the prophet saith of the righteousness of revolters. Their subjection shall not be remembered, 
but in the rebellion they shall die. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, let wives be to their husbands. 63. Of the extent of a wise obedience. The extent of a wise obedience, which remaineth now to be handled, is set down under these general terms in everything, which are not so generally to be taken as if they admitted no restraint or limitation, for then would they contradict such cautions as these, in the fear of the Lord, as to the Lord, in the Lord. For man is so corrupt by nature, and of so perverse a disposition, that oft he willeth and commandeth that which is contrary to God's will and commandment, which when he doth, that Christian principle laid down as a ruled case by the apostle must take place. We ought rather to obey God than men. Question. Why then is this extent laid down in such general terms? Answer. 1. To teach wives that it is not sufficient for them to obey their husbands in some things as they themselves think meet, but in all things whatsoever they be wherein the husband by virtue of his superiority and authority hath power to command his wife. Thus this general extent excludeth not God's will but the wise will. She may do nothing against God's will, but many things must she do against her own will if her husband require her. 2. To show that the husband's authority and power is very large, it hath no restraint but God's contrary command, whereas if a wife be not assured, she must yield to her husband's will. 64. Of a wife's laboring to bring her judgment to the bent of her husband's. From the extent I gather these two conclusions. 1. A wife must labor to bring her judgment and will to her husband's. 2. Though in her judgment she cannot think that most meet which her husband requires, yet she must yield to it in practice. In the former of these, I see not simply that a wife is bound to bring her judgment to the bent of her husband's, for he may be deceived in his judgment, and she may see his error, and then unless her understanding should be blinded, she cannot conceive that to be true which he judges so. But I speak of endeavor, when she hath not sure and undeniable grounds to the contrary, to subject her judgment when it is contrary to her husband's, and to think she may be in an error, and thereupon not to be too peremptory and resolute in contradicting her husband's opinion. This submission, even of her judgment, respecteth not only things necessary for which her husband hath an express determinate warrant out of the scripture, but also things doubtful and indifferent. For even so far doth this clause in everything extend, and the subjection of a wife respecteth not her practice only, but her judgment and opinion also, which if she can bring to the lawfulness and meekness of that which her husband requires, she will much more cheerfully perform it. To this purpose, as I take it, may be applied that exhortation of the apostle unto women, that they learn in silence with all subjection, which though it be principally meant of learning in the church, yet it excludeth not her learning at home of her husband. For in the next words he addeth, I suffer not a woman to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. 65. Of wise overweening conceit of their own wisdom. 
contrary is the presumption of such wives as think themselves wiser than their husbands and able better to judge matters than they can. I deny not but that a wife may have more understanding than her husband, for some men are very ignorant and blockish, and on the other side some women well instructed who thereby have attained to a great measure of knowledge and discretion. But many that they have husbands of sufficient and good understanding, wise and discreet men, yet think that that which they have once conceived to be a truth must needs be so, and such is their preemptoriness that they will not be brought to think that they may err, but say they will never be brought to think otherwise than they do, though all the husbands in the world should be of another opinion, not much unlike to the wise man's fool who thinketh himself wiser than seven men that can render a reason. 66. Of wives yielding to her husband in such things as she thinketh not to be the meetest. The latter conclusion concerning a wife's yielding in practice to that which her husband requireth, though she cannot bring her judgment to think as he doth about the meekness of it, hath respect to indifferent things, namely to such as are neither in their particulars commanded nor forbidden by God, as the outward affairs of the house, ordering it, disposing goods, entertaining guests, and so on. Question. May she not reason with her husband about such matters as she thinketh unmeet, and labor to persuade her husband not to persist in the pressing thereof, yea, endeavor to bring her husband to see the unmeetness as she thinketh of that which she seeth? Answer. With modesty, humility, and reverence she may so do, and he ought to hearken unto her, as the husband of the Shunammite did. 2 Kings 4.23.24 But yet, if notwithstanding all that she can say, he persists in his resolution, and will have it done, she must yield. First, her subjection is most manifested in such cases. Herein she apparently showeth that what she doth, she doth in respect of her husband's place and power. Were it not for that, she would not do it. Other things are not so evident proofs of her subjection to her husband. For if he command her to do that which God hath expressly commanded, and so she ought to do it, whether her husband command it or no, it may be thought she doth it on God's command, and not on her husband's. If her husband command her to do that which God hath expressly forbidden, then ought she by no means to yield unto it. If she do, it may rather be termed a joint conspiracy of husband and wife together against God's will. As Peter said to Sapphira, the wife of Ananias, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Then subjection to the image of God in her husband. Secondly, her yielding in indifferent things tendeth much to the peace of the family, as subjects yielding to their magistrates in such cases maketh much to the peace of the commonwealth. For in differences and dissensions one side must yield, or else great mischief is like to follow. Now of the two, who should yield but the inferior? 67. Of wise making their own will their law. Contrary is the custom of many wise who never will do any more than they themselves think meet though their husbands require it never so much. 
surely become far short of this apostolical extent in everything, though in their own eyes they may seem to be very much subject. But when wise will no further be subject, then their own judgments, wills, and affections concur with their husbands. What can be thought but that they are subject rather to their own wills than to the will of their husbands? Many such wives, from the least difference in judgment and opinion, even in the smallest matters, take occasion to refuse subjection and think they have want enough so to do, whence oftentimes there arises much contention, the fault whereof lies especially on the wise neck, though the occasion may arise from the husband. And I think that wives themselves would so judge of the right cases betwixt them and their children. 68. Of care in choosing such husbands as wives may without grief be subject unto. Objection. If the case be such betwixt man and wife, it is not good to marry. Answer. This is no good inference, for all the seeming hardness of a wife's case is in the weakness of an husband, who abuseth his place and power, and not in that subjection which is required by God. For if an husband carry himself to his wife as God requireth, she will find her yoke to be easy, and her subjection a great benefit even unto herself. Wherefore, I would exhort parties that are married, whether maidens or widows, to be very careful in their choice of husbands, and in their choice to respect, above all, their good qualities and conditions therein bearing the image of Christ, as well as in their office and authority, so as their wives may with joy and comfort, not with grief and anguish, be subject unto them. Then will subjection prove a vexation, when the husband is an ignorant, profane, idolatrous, worldly, wicked man. Wives of such husbands are often brought into many straits. Ye widows and maidens who are free, but not too free and forward in giving your consent to whom you know not, among other motives, oft think of this point of subjection, to which all wives are bound. This I say, both of the several branches and also of the extent thereof. After you are married, it is in vain to think of freedom from subjection. By taking husbands and giving yourselves to be wives, you bind yourselves to the law of the man, as long as he liveth. Then as you desire to be accepted of God and to find mercy and comfort from him, you must bear this yoke, how heavy and grievous forever it seemed to be. 69. Of the reasons to move wives to do their duties. Hitherto, of wise duties, the reasons noted by the apostle to enforce those duties now follow. They are laid down in these words. Ephesians 5.22 As unto the Lord Verse 23 For the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body Verse 24 Wherefore as the church is subject and so on The main ground of all the reasons which the apostle here intimateth is taken from the place wherein God hath set an husband which is first by consequence implied in these words as to the Lord, and then more plainly and directly expressed in these, the husband is the head of the wife. 
the particle prefix before these words for being a casual conjunction doth show that they are here set down as a reason which is first propounded under the metaphor head and then amplified by that resemblance which an husband hath therein unto Christ even as Christ and so on which resemblance is further commended by the virtue and benefit that proceeded from the headship of Christ properly and of an husband also by consequence in these words and is the savior of the body upon an husband's resemblance unto Christ he inferreth that a wife should have a resemblance unto the church and so concludeth therefore as the church is in subjection to Christ so let wives be to their husbands out of the forenamed ground of a wife's subjection and the several amplifications thereof and the inference thereupon made five several and distinct reasons may be gathered to enforce a wife's subjection to her husband the first is taken from an husband's place he is in the Lord's stead to his wife as to the Lord the second from his office he is in head to his wife the third from the image he beareth or from the resemblance betwixt him and Christ even as Christ and so on the fourth from the benefit that his wife receiveth from him he is the savior and so on the first from the example and pattern of the church as the church is in subjection and so on 70 of an husband's place the place wherein God has set an husband as it serveth to direct a wife in the manner of her subjection whereof I have spoken before so also it serveth to move a wife to yield such subjection as is required which will evidently appear by these two conclusions following from thence one a wife by subjecting herself to her husband therein is subject unto Christ two a wife by refusing to be subject unto her husband therein refuses to be subject unto Christ that these two conclusions are rightly and justly gathered from the forenamed ground I prove by like conclusions which the Holy Ghost inferreth upon the like ground it is evident that Christ Jesus even incarnate and made flesh was in the room instead of his father whereupon Christ said to Philip that desired to see the father he that hath seen me hath seen the father now mark what Christ thence inferred both on the one side he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me and on the other he that honoreth not the son honoreth not the father that sent him it is also evident that ministers of the gospel stand in the room instead of Christ for thus saith the apostle of himself and other ministers we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us we pray you in Christ's stead and so on now mark again the conclusions inferred thereupon by Christ on the one side he that heareth you heareth me and on the other he that despiseth you despiseth me on this ground it was that God said to Samuel concerning the people that rejected his government they have not cast thee away but they have cast me away to apply this reason I hope such wives as live under the gospel have so much religion and piety in them as to acknowledge it becometh them well to be subject unto the Lord Christ Jesus here they learn one especial and principal part of subjection unto Christ which is to be subject unto your husbands 
Thus shall you show yourselves to be the wise of the Lord Christ, as the apostle saith of obedient servants, they are the servants of God. Again, I hope none are so void of all religion and piety as to refuse to be subject unto Christ. Here then take notice that if willfully you refuse to be subject to your husbands, you willfully refuse to be subject to Christ. Fitly on this ground may I apply that to wives, which the apostle speaketh of subjects. Whosoever resisteth the power and authority of an husband resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves judgment. A strong motive is this first motive. If it were duly considered of wives, they would more readily and cheerfully be subject than many are. They would not so lightly think of their husband's place, nor so reproachfully speak against God's ministers, who plainly declare their duty unto them, as many do. 71. Of an husband's office. The second reason is alike unto this taken from an husband's office. He is the wise head, which is also urged to this very purpose in other places. This metaphor showeth that to his wife he is as the head of a natural body, both more eminent in place and also more excellent in dignity, by virtue of both which he is a ruler and governor of his wife. Nature teaches us that this is true of the head of a natural body, and the apostle, by intituling an husband and head, teacheth us that it is as true of an husband. Hence it followeth that it standeth with common equity and with the light of nature, that the wife should be subject to her husband. This argument doth the apostle in plain terms urge in another place, saying, Doth not nature teach you? And so on. Go therefore, O wise, unto the school of nature. Look upon the outward parts and members of your bodies. Do they desire to be above the head? Are they loath to be subject unto the head? Let your soul then learn of your body. Were it not monstrous for the side to be advanced above the head? If the body should not be subject to the head, would not destruction follow upon head, body, and all the parts thereof? As monstrous and much more monstrous is it for a wife to be above her husband, and as great, yea, and greater disturbance and ruin would fall on that family. The order which God has set therein would be clean overthrown thereby, and they that overthrew it would show themselves opunders of God's wisdom in establishing order. This reason drawn from nature is a force to move very pagans and savages to yield subjection. How much more Christian wise, it being also agreeable to God's word and ratified thereby. 72 of the resemblance betwixt Christ and an husband. The third reason taketh from an husband's resemblance unto Christ herein, addeth an edge unto that former reason, and being an head, he is like Christ. So as there is a kind of fellowship and co-partnership betwixt Christ and an husband, they are brethren in office as two kings of several places. Objection. There is no equality betwixt Christ the Lord from heaven and an earthly husband. The disparity betwixt them is infinite. Answer. Yet there may be similitude, resemblance, and fellowship, 
Inequality is no hindrance to these. Two kings may be more different in a state than a subject and a king. Yet those two kings, brethren and fellows in office, there may be a resemblance where there is no parity, and a likeness where there is no equality. The glorious and bright sun in the firmament and a dim candle in a house have a kind of fellowship and the same office, which is to give light, yet there is no equality betwixt them. So then an husband resembleth not only the head of a natural body, but also the glorious image of Christ, and is that to his wife, which Christ is to his church. To apply this point, mark how from it two positions, worthy to be noted, do arise. One, subjection is due to an husband as well as to Christ. I say not as great because of the difference in glory, but as well because of the likeness in office. A constable, though a poor, mean man, must be obeyed as well as an high sheriff. A beggar's child must obey his father as well as a king's child. Such wives, therefore, who are not subject, wrong their husbands as well as they wrong Christ, who are not subject to him. 2. They who by their subjection maintain the honor of their husband's place maintain thereby the honor of Christ's place, and again by the rule of contraries. They who by refusing to be subject impeach the honor of their husband's place, impeach thereby the honor of Christ's place. The obedience of a poor man's child or servant justifies that obedience which king's children and servants owe their father and sovereign. And so, on the contrary, disobedience in mean ones dishonoreth the place of great ones. The argument of many can, drawn from the greater to the less, in these words, Vash to the queen hath not done wrong to the king only, but also to all the princes and all the people, may be applied from the less to the greater. Disobedient wives do wrong not only to their own particular husbands, but also to all heads, even to Christ, the head of the church. If a natural body and the church were flexible and could be seduced and drawn to presume and rebel against their heads, the ill example of wives were enough to move them thereunto, for, as much as is in them lieth, they by example seduce them. From the last forenamed positions, that the obedience of a good wife maintaineth the honor of Christ's place, and on the contrary side, that the disobedience of an ill wife impaireth the honor thereof, I may justly infer two other conclusions. One, that Christ will assuredly reward the good subjection of good wives, for he hath said, and what he hath said he can and will perform, them that honor me will I honor. 2. That he will sorely revenge the rebellion of evil wives, for again he hath said, They that despise me shall be despised. We know that fellows in office are ready to stand for the credit of one another's place, and to maintain the honor thereof, and that not without good reason for thereby they maintain their own honor and credit. Wherefore, as good wives may well expect a reward at Christ's hands, howsoever their husbands respect their obedience, whether well or ill, 
a great encouragement for wives to perform their duties though their husbands be never so ill. So evil wives have just cause to fear revenge at Christ's hand, howsoever their husbands bear with them. They who duly weigh this reason, taken from that resemblance which is betwixt Christ and the church, cannot but hold it to be a motive of great moment. 73. Of the benefit which a wife hath by an husband. The fourth reason, taken from the benefit which a wife receiveth from her husband, doth yet further press the point in hand. Though Christ be properly the Savior of the body, yet even herein an husband carrieth a resemblance of Christ, and is after a manner a Savior, for by virtue of his place and office, he is on the one side her protector, to defend her from hurt, and preserve her from danger, and on the other side, a provider of all needful and necessary things for her, in which respect she is taken from her parents and friends, and wholly committed to him. As Jacob's wife said, Have we any more portions or inheritance in our father's house? Yea, she herself and all she hath is given to him. And he again communicateth whatsoever he hath to her good and for her use. David compareth a wife to a vine in relation to her husband, intimating thereby that by him she is raised to that height of honor she hath, as a vine by the tree or frame near unto which she is planted. By his honor is she dignified, by his wealth is she enriched. He is under God all in all to her. In the family he is a king to govern and aid her, a priest to pray with her and for her, a prophet to teach and instruct her, as the head is placed in the highest place over the body and understanding placed in it, to govern, direct, protect, and every way seek the good of the body. And as Christ is united to the church as a spouse and made her head, that she might be saved, maintained, and provided for by him. So for this end was an husband placed in his place of superiority, and his authority was committed to him to be a savior of his wife. Wherefore, if none of the former motives prevail with wives and move them to be subject to their husbands, yet ought this. For from this reason flowed these two conclusions. 1. The subjection required of a wife is for her own good. 2. In refusing to obey, she shows herself both ungrateful to her husband and also injurious to herself. That her subjection is for her own good is evident by this end for which an husband is made an head to be a savior, not to puff him up, to make him insult and tyrannize over his wife, so as if she be subject unto him, she may reap many good from him. As the church is wisely governed and safely protected by subjecting herself to her head, Christ Jesus, and as the body partaketh of much good and is preserved from much evil by subjecting itself to the head, so if a wife be subject to her husband, she will far much the better thereby all the ease profit and benefit thereof will be hers. If therefore she tender her own good, this is a way and means ordained of God for this end. Let her herein seek it. 
If notwithstanding this she refused to be subject unto her husband, doth she not, as we say, stand in her own light? She being by her sex the weaker, and the more unable to help herself, if she shall reject this good help which God hath provided for her, is she not most injurious to her own self? And considering the care and pains her husband undergoeth for her sake, is it not most unnatural and monstrous ingratitude, inwardly to despise or outwardly to scorn such an head? No better testimony of a grateful heart can be given by a wife to her husband than cheerful and ready subjection, and no greater ingratitude can be showed than rebellion and disdain. For among vices, ingratitude is one of the most odious to God and man, so as both to avoid the black spot of ingratitude and to carry away the name of gratefulness ought wives to be subject. 74. Of the example of the church set before wives. The last reason taken from the example of the church is also of good force to persuade wives unto subjection. Example more prevails with many than precept. If any example may be of force, then this most of all. For it is not the example of one only, but of many, not of many ignorant and wicked persons, but of understanding, wise, holy, and righteous persons, even all the saints that ever were, are, or shall be. For the church comprises all under it, even that whole society of saints which are chosen of God in his eternal counsel, redeemed of Christ by his precious blood, and effectually called by the gospel of salvation. God's Spirit, working inwardly and powerfully upon them, those very souls of just and perfect men, now triumphing in heaven, not accepted, note how this church is described in the 26 and 27 verses. Let this example therefore be oft thought of. It will never repent any to follow it, for it treadeth the only right path to eternal glory, whereunto they shall assuredly come that follow it. But to show the force of this reason a little more distinctly, note these two conclusions following from it. 1. Wives are as much bound to be subject to their husbands as the church to Christ. Thus, why should this example be thus set before them and pressed upon them? Why are husbands set in Christ's stead and resemble to him? 2. A wise subjection to her husband, answerable to the church's subjection unto Christ, is an evidence that she is of the church, guided by the same spirit that the church is. For it cannot be performed by the power of nature, it is a supernatural work, and so an evidence of the Spirit. Wherefore, O Christian wives, as your husbands by their place resemble Christ, so do you by your practice resemble the church. Of the two, this is the more commendable, for that is a dignity, this is a virtue. The true virtue is much more glorious than any dignity can be. These reasons being well poised, and the force of them all joined together, they cannot but work on the stoutest stomach that is. Wherefore, if this point of subjection seem to be too bitter a pill to be well digested, let it be sweetened with the syrup of these reasons, and it will much better be swallowed 
and have the more kindly work. The end.